Welcome, everyone, to the Plant Services Podcast Series, The Hidden Cost of Compressed Air, sponsored by Kaiser Compressors. Each podcast in this four-episode series will tackle one of the many facets of compressed air system operation and costing. I'm Tom Wilk, the Chief Editor of Plant Services, and today I am joined by two compressed air experts from Kaiser, Neil Meltretter and Wayne Perry, for a discussion on the hidden costs of location that can be associated with your compressed air system. Neil is Technical Director for Kaiser Compressors, and he's conducted and supervised thousands of industrial compressed air studies to help plant teams achieve significant energy savings and operational improvement. And Wayne Perry is Senior Technical Director at Kaiser Compressors and has more than 40 years of experience in all aspects of the compressed air business. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for being part of the special series today. Thanks a lot, Tom. Yeah, great to be here. You know, I'll direct the first question at Wayne. Um, Wayne, the first episode of our series focused on the cost of oversizing. And we ended that conversation by talking about planning a new plant or expanding an existing system. So I'd like to start this episode by touching on that topic in the context of location. Uh, what are your thoughts on when you're planning a new plant or expanding an existing system? What are some of the considerations on where and how to install your compressors? If you're talking about multiple compressors uh, in a new system, then it really makes sense to install the compressors and the air treatment in a central location. It makes controlling the compressors more efficient uh, because the master controller can get a, a signal from an air receiver and control all the compressors based on the pressures that it gets at that downstream receiver. Uh, it also makes sense if you've got the room uh, to install it uh, in a central location or midway down down the plant, just so that you don't have extremely long runs of piping. And speaking of piping, I, I would say that's that's one of the things that are, that's really uh, overlooked in installing compressed air systems. If at all possible, uh, upsize the piping so that you can do future expansions without having to go back and install bigger pipe or more pipe in there. Uh, that's all critical. Another thing to consider when you're looking for location is if the machines are air-cooled machines and you need to ventilate the heat out of the building, uh, then you're going to need to be close to a wall or some other way to get you know, up through a ceiling to get the air out of it. Uh, but those are the primary things that I would look for when you're considering locations. You might also consider, you know, which are the most critical applications of compressed air, which are the most pressure sensitive, maybe put the system closer there. What I would recommend against is installing one compressor on one end of the building and another compressor on the other end of the building because you're never going to get a good pressure signal to be able to control those efficiently. Neil, do you have anything to add? Well, I, you know, I was planning on adding a lot, but, uh, you know, I, I think, Wayne, you covered pretty much everything. Um, you know, there's, you know, we, we talked about it in the, in the pre-call. You know, we could probably talk for days on any of these one topics. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, Wayne's points are definitely valid, um, you know, uh, safety, noise, you know, what else is in the compressor room? Those things, you know, do tend to come up. Um, but yeah, w Wayne's points were, were definitely the 
ultimate uh, challenge for us and the things that we want to consider uh, when we're looking for a place for the compressors. One of the things that, you know, I got into this business back in the 70s and compressors were loud and you wanted to put those machines as far away from people as you possibly could because they were, you know, 85, 90, 95, sometimes even 100 decibels loud. Uh, today's compressors have gotten so quiet that you can put them in with with the people working in the factory floor, and they're going to be much quieter than the machines that are uh, doing the actual production. So that's not that's no longer a real consideration in this equipment. That's an interesting advance to point out. Um, Neil, since Wayne also mentioned ventilation before, maybe we can ask you the next question. In your experience, how does ventilation uh, impact compressor performance when you're considering lo location issues? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I think it, it's probably the one of the most important things, um, bringing in the cooling air and removing uh, the now warmed up um, uh, cooling air, if you would, discharge cooling air from the compressors. Um, and, and also dryers, uh, refrigerator and dryers also have uh, heat buildup. And as well as, uh, you know, let's say a blower purge or heated purge desiccant dryers. Those are, you know, smaller aspects of it. But moving uh, that hot air out of the compressor room uh, is going to really improve your longevity of the equipment, the reliability of the equipment, um, and uh, also service costs. You know, the, the higher you operate uh, the equipment, um, the more service you're going to need. Uh, the less uh, your uh, uh, oil is going to last, um, the maybe the more that uh, you know. If the ambient environment, um, and we talk about ventilation, is 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 huge, but also you know the each compressor is going to have uh, an inlet filter, and maybe they also have filter mats. So those are all serviceable items. Um, if the uh, ambient uh, um, is high in dust debris those kind of things that's going to affect how the equipment operates um, high temperatures are really uh, compressed air killers um, and we see that over and over and over again um, you may not see it on day one uh, but you certainly see it several months into the installation and you know maybe long after your service provider uh, might not be there so you know if you're doing the service on your own uh, things to check are, you know, what the operating temperature is of, uh, of your air compressor. Uh, if it's oil flooded or oil free, um, you know, then you're also, uh, you know, the gut check is, can I open this door? You know, is when I'm opening the door to the compressor room, is it is it opening into the room? So when I open it, that door slams open and pulls me all the way in, um, you know, like a bad dream, let's say. Uh, or um, when I'm trying to pull the door out, it's an open out. Um, I can't pull it out, you know, and I'm not the strongest guy, but, you know, if it takes me two hands to open a door, I know we have a negative pressure in the room and that's a ventilation issue. Both of those are ventilation issues. And but what that ends up doing is it causes uh, an increased compression ratio on the equipment, um, which means that it's working harder for that same CFM worth of air. You know, we're, you know, we're very involved with uh, Compressed Air and Gas Institute, KGI, uh, and those data sheets are really uh, pivotal in helping uh, end users figure out um, what compressors they, they need and what's that key performance index specific power. And so if you're running these compressors hotter, if there's not enough ventilation, if there's not enough air into the room or removal of that air, um, you know, you could throw the KGI data sheet out the window because 
your power consumption is going to increase five, ten percent, and then your reliability is going to be lower. And you know, that's when when customers start screaming, "Hey, what's wrong?" Yeah, some something else to think about as far as ventilation goes. Um, <clears throat> compressed air dryers are rated for 100 degree ambient, 100 psi, uh, and 100 degree inlet temperature. And if you go over that, if if you have a room uh, that's not well ventilated and the compressor room is at 100 degrees, the, the uh, air coming out of the compressor after it's gone through the aftercooler is probably 120 degrees. If you feed the dryer with 120 degree air, then you basically cut its capacity in half. Uh, so for every 20 degrees up in temperature you go, that air can hold twice the volume of water vapor. And uh, you're really gonna cut your, your air treatment capacity by a lot if you run in a hot room. The other thing to consider is that the amount of work done by compressed air is based on the density or the mass flow through the compressor. You know, the compressors are rated in volume, uh, and but it's really the mass that does the work. Uh, and the hotter the air temperature, the less dense the air is. And, and to Neil's point, if you don't have enough flow into the room, you're basically uh, modulating the compressor. You're getting less dense air going into the compressor. So you're getting less mass out, the same volume is going through, but you're getting let fewer molecules of, of air coming out the other end. And that's, that's hurting the efficiency of your whole compressed air system. Okay, well, you know, related to the issues of ventilation and wind are issues of clearance space. And you wrapped up your description by talking about how ventilation issues can impact costs. How does clearance space factor into this? How much clearance do you need around compressed air equipment? Oh, you know, I've seen some really bad installations in my time. We'll talk about that a little later. But you need enough clearance around the compressors, uh, uh, certainly to swing the service doors open. But in addition to just being able to swing the service doors open, you've got to think about, can I bring lifting equipment in if I have to change a motor or if I have to change an air end or I have to change a cooler? Can I actually get the tools and equipment in to get that done. And, you know, am I putting these things so close together that what would have been, you know, a three hour job is going to turn into a three day job because I have to disassemble uh, things to get them out. So clearance, service clearance is really important. The other aspect, and that's just, just from a servicing the compressor point of view. The other aspect about having a, a good clearance around the compressor uh, is that you generally have good airflow around the compressor. If you have a lot of clearance, you're not blocking any of the paths. And it's also really safer for any service technician who's getting in there to work because he's got some room, he or she has, has room to move around and they're not cramped and they're not having to squeeze into tight places. Uh, and it's just, it's it's a real safety issue. And that's really high on my priority list is, 
is make it safe for people to work around that equipment. Yeah, I, w- I would piggyback on what Wayne said in regard to the safety aspects. Um, you know, you if you can't open the doors, then you're not going to be able to get in to do the service safely. Um, but, you know, also in regard to any C code and, and the amount of space you need in front of an electrical panel so that door can swing open um, and you can do the surface and or if for whatever reason, if it's not locked out, tagged out or, or something like that, um, you know, you're wearing your full uh, PPE gear, arc flash protection, et cetera. Um, but if you have to egress from that site, um, you need to be able to get away. Um, so even though you might need a so, so much space in front of the panel per code, you need to be able to get from that area to a safe space. So, you know, those things are really paramount. Um, and like Wayne said, we'll, we'll get into our not so ideal installs uh, a little bit later, but, you know, that's, that's part of it um, is making sure that, you know, not only can we do the service, can we do it safely, uh, can we do it in a reasonable time frame? Because, you know, that's that's it's a hidden cost. Um, you know, Wayne Wayne mentioned, you know, a three-hour service might take six hours, could take twelve, um, and that's something that seems uh, amenable to the customer. Oh, we're just going to put um, the equipment here, and that that might work. But in regard to um, the long-term effects, those maintenance costs are going to increase uh, significantly. So. Um, those are things that you know, we really recommend to think about. And then also air that, that has been heated up from one equipment uh, to another. So, um, you know, thermostatically recirculating louvers, that's something that we talk about all the time. It's a great practice. But what if it's just blowing onto the other compressor um, and we have nothing to move the air? So one compressor might be fine, but the other one might be overtemping because it's ingesting all that hot air from compressor one or dryer one or something like that. I think that's a good point, point, uh, uh, Neil. And that's something that, that we didn't really talk about. We've been talking about compressors, but you also need to uh, put ductwork, the proper kind of ductwork and ventilation on the dryers as well as the compressors because they generate, they generate heat too. We got a lot of factors to consider here from ventilation to uh, spacing to duct work. So let's talk about some of those installs. Uh, you guys have seen a lot of on-site customers doing it their way, sometimes great, sometimes not so great. Um, without naming names, can you each talk us through one of the worst installs you've seen? Without being able to describe the install, I mean, on some of these, if I describe the install, you have a good idea who the, <laughs> who the company is. But I'll tell you about one of them. Uh, I got called out to a facility uh, because they had a uh, 100 horsepower rotary screw compressor that they were having some problems with. And they were very upset uh, that the machine was (coughs) shutting down on high temperature repeatedly. And it was a fairly new machine. So I went out to the location and uh, the customer uh, took me into the compressor room and we got into the compressor room and the compressor room was about, oh, eight feet by eight feet. It had, uh, we went in through a man door, just a regular 36 inch wide door. And here's this 100 horsepower compressor, and there's no other door, no other window, 
no other vent in this room. It had a 10-foot ceiling, but it, the room was about eight by eight. <clears throat> and I asked the guy, I said, how did you get this machine in here? And they said, oh, we put, we put the compressor in and then built these cinder block walls around it so we could build the rest of the building. So they had installed it before <clears throat> they finished building the building. And with no ventilation, they had no way, you know, 100 horsepower compressors, a 75 kilowatt heater and a 75 kilowatt heater in a eight by eight room is going to get pretty warm pretty quick. Uh, so the only the only solution to that one and what they finally did was they took down one of the walls and moved the machine to another location and had to repipe their system. But, you know, that 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 was just one of them. I've also seen compressors installed under conveyors where bulk material fell off the conveyor onto the machine, uh, uh, rained onto the machine, plugged up the coolers. Uh, I have seen variable speed compressors uh, that were installed just below a, a place where they had to do washdown of their product, they were it was a food processing place, and they were doing clean in place, but the water came right down onto the onto the compressor. And in some cases, you know, water on the compressor is not all that terrible. But variable speed compressors have basically a lot of computer components in it, and if you get any dust or any moisture in those drives and the circuit boards in the drives, uh, they're going to die. Uh, it's just very difficult unless you can put them in a, in a clean location. Uh, but see, I'm, I'm the technical director. I don't have to worry about costs. So I tell people stainless steel pipe, very clean locations, you know, cool locations, spend all the money, get it done right. And, and really, <clears throat> When I tell people, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money to install this, right? And then their eyebrows raise. And I said, it's going to cost even more money if you don't install it right. You're going to be spending a lot of money over time in poor efficiency, poor serviceability, uh, maintenance expense, downtime. So spend the money up front, do it right up front. Those are some hair-raising stories, Wayne. Um, Neil, what you got for us? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that I could really follow that one, except to say that, um, you know, if everyone uh, has seen the uh, the Bernie memes uh, from the inauguration here in January, that, that pretty much sums it up. You know, if, if you have a compressor that's outdoors, without a roof, no shed, no heaters, um, you know, that that's, that's really kind of the worst installation that I've seen. Um, and, you know, you have portable compressors. They're made to be rugged. They're made to be outside. But stationary equipment, especially like Wayne said, variable speed, variable frequency, um, you know, that's that's really the worst. Um, so, yeah, you you know, Bernie looked cold. You just think of what your, your compressors uh, are doing there as well. Um, you know, areas that flood, I've seen that too. Um, you know, Wayne said general washdown, but I, I've seen – uh, compressors uh, in locations that can flood. The the one thing that's interesting that really stands out with me is talking to a service technician who was doing uh, uh, an installation for some auditing equipment, and um, I said, "Well, can you 
can you explain the wiring diagram? Can you tell me what the wiring diagram looks like and I'll help you figure out where the signals are and, and we can figure out where to put the equipment. And he said, well, um, I can't do both. I said, what do you mean you can't do both? He said, well, I've got one hand holding the phone. I've got one hand holding the light. I can't check anything with my meter. There's, there's no power in this room. What do you mean there's no power? He said, well, we had to shut down the compressors so that we could troubleshoot and figure out where to put stuff, but the, the wiring for the compressor is linked to the wiring for the room. So when we killed the breaker, we turned everything off. I can't see anything in this room. So, you know, it's funny. It, it's things that we take for granted, just the light switch on off. You know, it's it's a funny story now, but certainly talking to, to the gentleman who was trying to get those signals, it wasn't fun then. So, wow. Oh, and there is a world of difference if you're if you're going in trying to troubleshoot or work on a machine to have adequate light. Uh, like Neil said, I have been in a lot of compressor rooms where you had to have a flashlight to see, even if there were lights on board. Get those eyes, as seen on TV LED lights that just screw into the light fixture and bathe the whole place in light. Wow. Well. You know, let's close out today's podcast with a question for Neil uh, about uh, a podcast that you just paired with in our sister publication, Food Processing, back in April. You know, in that podcast, you had talked about moving compressors to an enclosed system. And I would think that would help with some of the issues we're talking about today, too. Uh, can you briefly discuss how that would work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my opinion really is that, you know, end users, customers, they they really care about flow, pressure, and the necessary air quality. Those are the paramount um, pieces to your compressed air system. And you know, most cases, customers, how you get there doesn't necessarily matter. Um, you know, certainly price, serviceability, um, you know, overall lifetime costs, those things are important, but those are really the paramount pieces uh, and that there are no problems. So, you know, why why would you want to move the compressor room, let's say outside or or outsource uh, that installation? And you know really the the whys they 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 vary uh, considerably. You know more space in the building. Um, you know we're we're in a situation now where we're seeing a lot of uh, customers start to expand, um, and they may need more facility space for that expansion. Um, you know, and like like we just talked about, you know, compressor rooms aren't really that desirable to be in, um, and sometimes you can't even see. So, you know, uh, moving moving them out, refurbishing that space, putting in production equipment, that's really a viable option. Um, and uh, also, getting it outside of the building uh, allows maybe easier access. You know, some customers uh, about their process and their process equipment, they're uh, it's very confidential, and and they won't allow uh, you know, service providers in that area. So, you know, putting it outside also helps that. Um, when we're looking at expansion, um, you know, the costs to build an extra room or, you know, like Wayne said, you want to have it in a centralized location. If we add a compressor, you know, on the other side of the facility, is that is that really going to work well uh, with the compressors in the original room? And it may not. Um, so, you know, putting it in a centralized location, um, putting those in either a pod or a multiplex type system that are all together, it is really advantageous. The design cost can be lower. Um, you might not need permitting uh, for for an enclosure. You know, those are those are really the reasons that that we see uh, customers going to that 
that length. And, you know, the great part is it's turnkey. So, you know, whereas you might have to have multiple trades come in uh, to do that work, you know, and, and we're talking about larger installations, uh, but even smaller stuff uh, where you might have uh, piping and ventilation and, you know, oh, you know, like we said, well, you don't want to have negative pressure. So you're putting a newer compressor or a bigger compressor. You need more airflow. Now I need to punch out this wall. Um, so those are things that can all be done um, prefabbed, ready to go, tested uh, on site. You have a lot less work for the site work to do. And then, you know, we do see some customers interested in that air over the fence option. And that makes it easier too. that, you know, design, build, boom, uh, we have flow, pressure, air quality. Um, you know, we've got reliability, we've got redundancy. Um, now it's now it's on on your site and ready to go. So those are the reasons that that I think it's it's definitely advantageous to consider um, putting these in enclosures or packages. Yes, and and to what Neil said, uh, if you have a specific air quality, you just tell tell your supplier this is the air quality that I need, and these engineered packages come with all of the compressors, dryers, filters. The filters are in the right order. Condensate uh, treatment. Uh, all of that in one package and they just drop it on site and uh, the customer takes power to it and pulls the air off. And that's all that they have to worry about as far as a compressed air system goes. Well, thank you both for your time today on this podcast. We'll call it a wrap uh, and have a great time discussing the issues of uh, hidden cost of location with you today. Oh, thank you, Tom. Yeah, it's been a great chatting. Well, and that's a wrap for this episode of the Hidden Cost of Compressed Air. Um, the next episode of the series will cover the cost of air quality, followed by a wrap-up episode on how to reveal and control costs with system monitoring. Thanks again to our sponsor, Kaiser Compressors. And thanks to Neil and Wayne for being here today. And thank you all for listening.